In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about the relationship between digital discipleship and our Sunday service. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kitty Embry. Join me as we discover how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. So I've been listening to several other Christian podcasts lately. I guess the open secret of the podcasting space is we all like each other pretty well. I'm happy to support good people doing good work. So when Chris Emerson recently passed 1 million downloads with Excel Still More, I was ecstatic. When Adam Shanks and his Preach Impediments podcast broke 50 episodes, I was thrilled. When BJ Sype and his podcast Set Your Mind Above saw him resume the microphone and get a new puppy, I was both thrilled and a little concerned. BJ, please, hide the shoes. And of course, my buddy Hal Hammonds and Citizen of Heaven is currently on season three, and if you missed the two-parter that he did with Saif Al-Safir and Benjamin Lee about racism, you need to go back and listen to that. I thought it was just excellent. The danger that I run into now is I know too many people doing too much good stuff. Again, I could talk about Jared Bowman or Edwin and Andrew, and the podcast these guys are doing. Again, just excellent stuff. The promise of digital discipleship is that people who have an interest in being a part of the spiritual discussion don't need much to be a part of this conversation. In the last six months, I've talked to at least a dozen people about starting another podcast, and my advice never changes. I tell them what equipment they need, I give them some general advice on how to think about an audience, and then I tell them to pick a date. Starting a podcast is a lot like having children. You are never really ready, and the things you thought were going to be really important end up being wrong. So stop trying to avoid mistakes and just start making some. I guess another reason I'm thinking about this is on June 20th, I started my second year of podcasting. I was talking to Emerson a while ago, and something he said hit me. He said at the time he'd been doing his for about three years, and it still feels new. I get that now. I've learned so much, met so many amazing people, and talked about stuff I think is really important to talk about. It always surprises me when I upload an episode and there are any downloads at all, much less downloads that go around the world. But I know I have you to thank for that, so thank you. Faith-based podcasting is part of the digital discipleship piece I've been talking about for, well, two years now. I think there are some amazing opportunities available through this medium, and I've seen time and again how this allows us to have important conversations that either don't work at all as a sermon or work better as a conversation than what you might hear on a Sunday morning. I stand by that. But local evangelist Ralph Walker asked me to put together something for his congregation that made me think about where digital discipleship sits. During COVID, many congregations went to streaming their services online, and some people have gotten used to that. I don't know how many people this really fits. At the congregation I attend, we are starting to get back to the number of people we had before COVID. Yet I recognize there are still several people who haven't returned to the building, even though our building is filling up pretty quickly. Some people have just gotten out of the habit of going to the building, and so they don't. Some have begun to question whether they need to at all. 
And some have decided Christianity isn't worth the trouble. So, did streaming services really help us? Or was it the poison pill that let some people slip out the back door? Did digital discipleship really help us or hurt us? And streaming the service serve a purpose now, excluding those who are sick or traveling? Are we just giving away all the goods without getting the commitment true Christians need to make in order to be true Christians? When Jesus performed miracles, he got a lot of attention. It's pretty clear to me the people who came to Jesus were often desperate for a solution. However, the solution they were seeking was often a cure to a disease or solving some problem that couldn't be solved otherwise. The true purpose of the miracles wasn't to cure illness, but to demonstrate who Jesus was, and more importantly, prove that the things he was saying about spiritual reality were true. That was the point of healing the lame man in John 5. First, Jesus forgave his sins, a spiritual problem. But to prove that he had the power to back it up, he cured his lameness, which was a physical problem. But how does Jesus and his miracles relate to whether we should keep streaming services? Isn't that completely unrelated? And you're also talking about the perfect Son of God versus those of us who are completely flawed. Well, yeah, but the connection is this. The miracles had a point many people missed. It didn't mean Jesus shouldn't have done the miracles. It also didn't mean that the miracles didn't serve more than one purpose. Jesus was also able to demonstrate his power and his compassion by healing. It also didn't mean people couldn't understand the miracles in the wrong way or try to manipulate them for something they shouldn't have. Jesus didn't come to serve people food, open a supernatural medical clinic, or become a retail winemaker. But that didn't keep people from misinterpreting them or misusing them. The tools of digital discipleship can be misused, and they will be. If streaming services is the reason someone believes some people have stopped, maybe they weren't all that committed to begin with. But like Miracle stopped probably in the first century, is it time to pull the plug, uninstall the cameras, and reserve our Christian worship for Sunday with people who show up at the building? I don't think so. Look, the arguments I hear against most of the tools of digital discipleship often go something like this. When we talk online, people just fight or talk about some stupid stuff. I mean, have you been on Facebook? Have you seen the ridiculous debates that have no solution and no end? Especially with all the current political drama. Right now, we're at a point where Roe v. Wade and abortion on demand has been overturned. Isn't it important to defend our positions? Isn't it important to say exactly how we feel about this politically charged debate? I mean, it's simply an inferior way to talk to people in general. And it often doesn't accomplish what we really want it to. So, 
why use it at all? I mean, having a conversation face-to-face is always better. Shouldn't we just save ourselves when we can better control the situation? (laughs) I have a problem with this line of thinking, and maybe this will help. What do you mean by online communication? Do you mean a well-written blog post? Do you mean a podcast like this one? Do you mean an email or text message? Or your congregation's website? Do you mean watching someone else's sermon? Or do you mean a conversation you have with a friend on Zoom or FaceTime? You realize, of course, all of these are digital communication. I'm guessing you probably see some of these very channels with extremely personal information or helping build better relationships. But what is the real problem? Let's say one of your closest friends sends you an email where you have a civil disagreement. Would that disagreement live better on a telephone call? Would it be better in person? (laughs) Each of these channels give you advantages and disadvantages. If you write it in an email, you have the advantage of thinking your words through and cutting out the stuff that doesn't help. But you sacrifice some spontaneity. Maybe that's a good sacrifice to make, though. Every channel has limitations. But if you and your friend just never reach an agreement, is that the fault of email or the fault of two people who just can't agree? Yeah, but Facebook is just so shallow. You can't really say much, and there's just so much to read. It's all worthless. And I think this criticism uncovers a problem many people have. The channel we often have problems with is social media. And the problem with most people on social media is they're strangers. You don't know them. You don't have a history with them. The entirety of your relationship with many of these people revolves around your opinion about Roe v. Wade or a disagreement about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp or what a Christian may or may not believe about some part of Christianity. In other words, your introduction to many people online is how you are divided and not united. (laughs) Don't believe me? Think about this for a second. Have you ever been a part of a social media conversation where you know everybody who's participating pretty well? Do they misunderstand each other? Well, maybe. Were you able to say what you wanted to? Probably. Were you able to deepen your relationship with your friends because of what you said and how you said it? Very probably. Look, if you're talking with people who you know, who you love, and who know you, social media probably worked pretty well. Or put it another way, when I talk to my wife online, I could just hear her voice in my head. Which channel should I cut out? Which channel is a horrible fit? Which channel doesn't serve our relationship well? <laughs> I don't think the channel makes any difference at that point. As a matter of fact, I'm just grateful I have more channels to talk to my wife. The channel is much less relevant because the relationship is already there. But Kenny, 
what does this have to do with whether we keep streaming services at the church building? You've talked about our friends. You've talked about your wife. But you haven't said whether we need to keep it streaming. (laughs) But I kind of have, if you've noticed. Look, when my wife and I have a misunderstanding based on something we said, should we talk more or less? Should we try to figure out what went wrong? Or should we simply stop talking? Should we retreat to our quarters? Or should we work through the problem? You know the answer to that. Do you really want to keep people from hearing your sermons, listening to your Bible classes, hearing your prayers, listening to your singing? Why are any of these things people shouldn't have access to? Yes, but if it keeps somebody from coming back to the building, shouldn't we take it away from them? Look, the relationships you have become stronger based on increasing the number of ways you could connect with others, not decreasing. If someone is only connected to you through a website, I'd say the channel is still just fine. But the relationship needs help. So how do you convince people who aren't coming back that they need to? Love them more. If they aren't connecting with you in person, ask them why. Do they think they have a handle on Christianity? Well, I'd probably study with them about the one and other passages. Did Jesus truly mean we needed to serve one another? Or did he just mean we need to have a relationship with him and everybody else is out? You know the answer to that. Ultimately, you might not be able to bring them back. But the tools of digital discipleship can't make people grow in relationship to God. Let me say that again. Taking away these tools, the streaming sermons, the podcasts, the videos, are only tools. But sometimes problems are still not solved. Let me remind you, The untold story of Paul and Jesus and Peter and all of the first century evangelists are how many people rejected their message. Jesus flat out said, most people won't accept Christianity. So if that is the case, should we spread less seed? Should we communicate less? Should we cut out opportunities to introduce a dying world to a living God? Should we? On the opposite end of this, have you ever listened to a podcast that helped you grow? Have you ever listened to a sermon again or a Bible class that helped you understand something better? Have you ever had your life enriched because you took advantage of an online conversation? Have you ever asked a question and been blessed by seeing other people answer it? Are digital tools distractions? Well, they can be. Can they also be amazingly powerful tools to help introduce others to Christ and strengthen those around us? Yeah, they can. How do we do that? Make good stuff. Give it to people.
(laughs) They'll decide if it helps or not. And then ask them how it could help more. Look, the tools of digital discipleship have taken the seed of God's message and allowed us to spread it worldwide with less effort. Does that mean you should neglect your local congregation? No, 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 no. Have you ever noticed every time God tells us to love him, it ends up being serving one another? How do you do that? By meeting with one another. Whether in a church building, coffee shop, someone's home, wherever God's people are is where we need to make a habit of being. The Christian's real call is service to one another. God doesn't need us. We need God, and we need each other. But what about those really ridiculous fights on social media? I mean, how do we get away from that? Well, how do you avoid fights going on around you in person? Don't engage with them. Love them more. Resist the urge to make things worse and ask yourself this question. How should you treat complete and total strangers? Is it reasonable to ridicule them, fight with them, belittle them? Or should you treat them well? Give them the benefit of the doubt. Avoid stupid fights and instead... Be kind, good, generous, gracious, patient, and serve them the best you can. If anything, because we can give a powerful message and get it in front of so many others, maybe we ought to consider how to do that more. God bless us as we take advantage of the tools we have to spread the message we should to a world that needs us. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, this week, I'm grateful for others who influence my kids. My daughter, Abby, just got back from camp. She's already bursted with news and all the people she loves and the cool stuff she learned. I got to thank Phil Robertson for that, but everybody at that camp who volunteers so much time to help a bunch of kids have a great time and get closer to one another in God. That's a very cool thing, indeed. In the next few days, I have a couple of programs that will be coming out. First, Jennifer Ackett and our resident troublemaker, Ann Hoover, have pulled together a women's track for the lecture. I talked with Jennifer about her track, and I plan to release that very soon within the next day or two. Unfortunately, the edit with Amber Jimerson was a little complicated, so I wasn't able to release that today. So, Amber, I apologize. I had to drop back and write an essay instead. But next week, I do plan to release that conversation. So, until next time, let's be good and do good.